Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is episode 478, and I bring you Jack Alexander. Jack is a fabulously successful businessman, and he brings us his brand new book just released, The God Guarantee, Finding Freedom from the Fear of Not Having Enough. Two quick things. Jack speaks staunchly against the prosperity message of do this and do that, and God will do for you and give to you like Santa Claus in the sky. However, Jack showcases how most of us have fallen into a scarcity mentality, and that absolutely is not God-ordained. Jack references four steps to finding God's provision for us, and as you'll hear in the interview, it revealed, at least for me, that I'm missing one of them pretty well, so stay tuned. You're going to like this. what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. This show is brought to you in part by Breather, who is making meeting and office space easy. Breather has beautiful, inspiring workspaces for your off-sites, team meetings, client meetings, or even individual work. The best part, you only pay for the time you need, a month, a day, even just an hour. Breather is in L.A., New York, San Francisco, Palo Alto, Boston, Chicago, D.C., Toronto, Montreal, London, and they're growing. Even Google, Apple, and Facebook employees use Breather for their off-sites and team meetings, and they already have gorgeous offices. Try Breather right now. You'll receive 100 bucks off your first booking when you go to breather.com slash Ziggler. It's 100 bucks off your first booking when you go to breather.com slash Ziggler. So a quick bio on Jack Alexander. As a business person, he likes to solve problems and make things practical. The book we're discussing today, The God Guarantee, was born out of Jack's desire to help people overcome their fears and understand better how God can provide for them. In Jack's diverse career, he's built and led companies in real estate, business services, and technology. Two companies that he co-founded made the Inc. 500 list, and another in which he's a partner made the Inc. 5000 list. In 1999, he received the Ernst & Young National Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and in 2005, he received the Family Honors Award as a businessman who made a positive impact on the American family. Currently, Jack is chairman and co-founder of a software firm called OnQ, uh, which you can find at engageonq.com, as well as the Reimagine Group, a content company that makes high-quality media for the church market. Uh, and folks, you can buy the, the new book, The God Guarantee, anywhere, but if you go to thegodguarantee.com, you can get it for the same price, and you'll get access to an amazing new movie that Jack has done, uh, plus some other resources. So I really encourage you, go to thegodguarantee.com. My co-host in this show is CEO of Ziggler Family, Mark Tim. You're going to be hearing a lot more from Mark. He's going to be co-hosting a lot of shows with me, along with Tom Ziegler. Uh, I want to point out, though, in regards to Mark, how he and Jack, uh, wildly successful businessmen who bring us what they learned about God in their journeys 
to success, significant messages, lifetime value learnings from these guys. And on that note, though, I mean, is is success and God's blessing about making a million bucks in your business or your work? Well, of course not. But you ever notice, I've noticed this, how a majority of the great characters in the Bible were people of vast resources. Zig Ziglar is well known for his quote, Money isn't the most important thing in life, but it's reasonably close to oxygen on the gotta have it scale. But on a serious note, as you'll often hear from people of this caliber, I mean, you sure can do a lot when you have business and work success that gives you more time and money to serve with. So if you're interested in serving more from having more to give, you're going to want to hear this show. Hey, if the show today brings up any questions or thoughts, ask us about it. Let us know. Go to ask.zigshow.com or email us at ask at zigshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you find value in today's show, will you please tell us, leave a review on iTunes. A bunch of you have recently. Thank you. Uh, it's the best way you can say thanks to us uh, as that helps others find and engage with the Ziggler message. Uh, though, please don't use it as a place to critique us on audio problems as uh, two guys in the past couple months have. That doesn't help our rankings at all. All right, folks. Well, here then, Mark, Tim, and I talk with Jack Alexander. Well, Jack, I am excited about the message in your book and so honored you are giving us your time today. Thanks for being here. That's great to be here, Kevin. Well, you have been so successful in your business endeavors. You've been married 37 years. You got three grown sons, five grandchildren. Why write this book now? Is it more of a time just to share your personal experience in overcoming fear or in response to the growing issues that you see people fall into in our culture today? That's a great question. For the last five years, uh, one of our companies has worked with about 1,200 churches. And the issue that just keeps coming up in the area of, of giving people's lives away and giving their money away is this whole area of fear. And frankly, Kevin, one day I read an article about 70% of millionaires were afraid. And so it really yeah. grabbed my interest and I started to dig in. Wow. Well, um, I mean, of course we could say that this message uh, against fear and scarcity and into drawing deeper with God and living in abundance is relevant for anyone and everyone. But in your mind's eye, as you were writing this book, as you are promoting it now, who is your key target market? Who is, is the person or the couple or the family who you think you can make the biggest impact with is going to resonate the most with your message? Yeah, I think there's really two groups. Uh, the Wall Street Journal called the last 20 years, the two empty decades. So the average family in America has had no increase in real income in 20 years. And I personally believe there's a connection between people who are leaving the church and people who feel like they're not being provided for by God. Uh, the second audience would be well-to-do people who, again, statistically give away less than poor people give away. So, so I think those are our two main audiences. Okay. All right. Well, that is going to resonate with a lot of our audience here with Ziggler. We have so many people who are, it's an aspiring crowd, people who want to better right. themselves. But, and why I love your book and why we love your message is you're hitting one of the primary obstacles, obviously, that everyone hits as they strive to take action on all these incredible messages that we're bringing them like yours today. 
Uh, so the tagline right atop your book is, and you know what, for you video crowd, here we go. There's the book that you need to go get now, uh, right there. The tagline is finding freedom from the fear of not having enough. And right at the beginning in your intro, you dive into scarcity, which we've already mentioned, defining it as, and this is your writing, the fear that there is too little of something to go around, that there might be too little for us. And you even cite Brene Brown, a great quote, uh, and she said, worrying about scarcity is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress when they've been through too much. So, I mean, as we talk, I know most everyone's going to resonate with the message, but at face value, as I was thinking about this, Jack, I thought, gosh, it's, it's really... Uh, difficult or maybe even disappointing to reconcile this here in America, especially we're one of the wealthiest countries. Uh, Even the seemingly poor have the latest smartphone model, usually nicer than mine. And people, you know, spend an exorbitant amount of time and money on entertainment stats today. I looked at them yesterday, said uh, the average American spends five hours and four minutes on TV per day alone. And yet we fear having lack. So my question to you regarding scarcity, do you see the problem as, as we really don't have enough or we do have enough, but we fear still running out or we're bad stewards of what we have and are consuming far too much or some of all that or something else. Yeah. Well, scarcity is really an economics term and it's rooted in Thomas Malthus who called economics, the dismal science because the number of people was always going to be greater than the amount of resource. Well, that's a godless view. And what we try to do in the book is to show For example, the Hubble telescope comes out and we say, oh, there's 100 billion galaxies. And then all of a sudden, the James Webb telescope comes out in a couple of years. They said, now there's going to be 300 billion galaxies. We look in like viper venom is being used to treat disease. We look at the bark of a willow tree is aspirin. And anybody who knows how God works redemptively in people's lives, that there's more to every person you meet. There's more to everything you see than what you think. And yet there's this battle with science and reason that says what you see is all there is. Well, so that it's, it's a short sightedness, which we're going to get into that because you hit it right away in your book. And I'm going to go through your four areas, but you titled your book, the God guarantee. And in talking about God and his provision, you write off, take task with the prosperity theology, which I, I really appreciated. Right. And, and which is the message of, and you define this, I'm reading this right out of your book. If we do things right, then health, wealth, and power will be ours. And if we don't receive those things, we must be doing something wrong. I, I think you must've gone to my church, uh, as a kid, uh, but will you will you just embellish on that issue for us? Because again, I I hate for people to find an obstacle and not take in a message. And if they look at the God guarantee and think prosperity uh, mentality, don't want that to happen. So will you speak to that a little bit more, uh, Kevin? In in this work we did with with well over a thousand churches, again we saw what I call in the book that churches are caught between two lies. There's a lie of prosperity, which basically says. I'm going to make a positive confession. God's going to orbit around me. God's going to do what I want him to do. And then there's sort of this whole scarcity narrative that there's not enough. My experience says that there's not enough. My economics teacher told me there wasn't enough. And so basically this whole idea, how do we access God's provision? And then, of course, I came across God did you know something that he did five times in Scripture. Okay. You know, Go ahead, Mark. I, I got to just jump in because, uh, you know, as a listener, I've, I've been sitting here just taking in everything that you're saying, Jack, and I, I can relate to it. Specifically, I feel like a lot of listeners may be like me, where you you talked about your demographic 
of being, you know, somebody who feels like they're just kind of stuck, like they, they really haven't advanced the way they wanted to in their life. And it doesn't matter your social economic situation. I think it could be a wide range that we feel that way. And so because I'm, I'm feeling these pain points, I just, I have to ask you the question of how did you get inspired to even go down this path? Where, where did this vision come from and, and where, where did you decide this was a message that needed to be told? Well, I guess the most biggest day of my life, uh, Mark, was when I was nine, nine years old. My father died suddenly and my, my family basically fell apart. And I sort of entered this long journey. You know, I say the fear moved into our house and never moved out. And basically scarcity, my stepfather came in. There was just never enough. He lost his job. And so basically that's, that was what I grew up with. And then I became a Christian and I knew there had to be more. So undergirding this story is very much my story and my journey of God taking me through this process. And then I discovered these five instances where God provided spiritually, relationally, and practically for people. And just the light bulb went on saying, wow, there's something transcendent here. You know, and I think what, what I heard you say too, and, and I get a chance to work with a lot of families. I've coached a lot of families. And one thing I found, Jack, is that it doesn't matter kind of where you came from, rural or urban, uh, poor or wealthy. This, this fear is in all of us. And, and I don't know as though social media and technology has really helped. In fact, I think it's exasperated a little bit because we, we look online and it looks like everybody has something and we don't. Uh, everybody has it together and, and we don't. And so, you know, so I, I'm getting the sense of what you're saying is that this is, this, this is something you're finding that is in all of us. Yeah, I was in a small group and in one of our meetings, a guy showed up and he said his father-in-law is a billionaire and in the crash, he lost hundreds of millions of dollars. And he said he literally was not able to give $1 away. And he was still worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he just froze up. I got an email today from one of the biggest Christian financial planning firms. He was talking about a family with an $80 million net worth that was just stuck. They think they need more. It's interesting in this UBS study that the average family, whatever people had, they felt like they needed twice as much. I just wanted I just wanted to camp out there for a second, Kevin, and thank you for uh, for letting me do that because I, I think that's what I'm hearing, and I know my family has you know has had that same feeling, my kids, and so you know, so I I don't think it matters where you're at. I think we all are sharing and we're drinking from this same pail that we we don't have enough that we we need more and and that word more varies from family to family it it's a different definition but it's still the same word we still feel like we need more and i don't think until you started talking about this i saw it as as big of a problem as what it really is because in the pursuit of more it's robbing us of today really I think that's a great point. I literally think that Tim Keller in his foreword says that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. And for the God who says over a hundred times to fear not, I think it literally breaks the heart of God. Okay, well, I'm going to follow your line here, Mark, and because it, I had a discussion a couple of days ago 
And I don't remember what precipitated it, but we were talking, uh, my a good friend of mine, we were talking about just the, the dichotomy that we often get, uh, from our God in heaven of, of one thing in one area and one thing in another. So we have the story, of course, of, of Moses and the Israelites and their daily manna coming down daily. They right. could not collect it. They could not keep it for the next day. If they did, I think it turned into maggots. Just they, it was what a, what a lesson. Cause he could have let them do that. Hey, I'm going to make it right. do, do that. Fill some baskets. You guys will be good for the week, but he made them stick with just the daily manna. Now, and we have other, of course, specific areas of scripture that are calling us to wisdom and filling the silos and preparing for the famine. And it doesn't leave us with a, a black and white, does it? Well, I think there's a general principle that, for example, Jesus, the first temptation that Satan approached Jesus with was to provide for himself. He said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. He basically commanded him. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, the first thing Jesus says to ask for, he says, give us this day our daily bread. So I think God is jealous. He's our father. He wants to be our provider but what percentage of Christians, if you really put their backs up against the wall and say, do you feel like it's God's responsibility to provide for you? Or do you think it's fundamentally yours? I think mm -hmm. they would, if they were honest, they would say, it's my responsibility. Well, yeah, I, w I would, of course, um, uh, I would say one thing, and I'm afraid a videotape of, of my actions would show something different. Well, you mentioned something that caught my attention just in the aspect of this prosperity mentality and God orbiting around us as opposed to right. us around him, which I love that perspective. And yet also, though, bringing up the the issue of is he actually paying close attention to us? And I and I thought, yeah, you know, yeah, I think my psyche thinks that if there's a catastrophe, which I've had in my life, Mark, you just right. had a a uh, a child in a car wreck that with with the, the car showed that they mm. should not have survived. That, that yes, he's going to be there, and I think we generally think that. But is he really concerned about my seemingly, you know, maybe I think they're petty worries uh, regarding my job, my, my ailing car, the fight I had with my spouse. It seems petty in regards to those big catastrophes that do happen. And so in this, on one hand, it seems like you're saying, yeah, it's, it's preposterous to think of God orbiting around us and yet drawing us to, to scriptural, to the scriptural truth of yet he is paying attention. We must, I, I, I'm asking that. I think you're, you're telling us that we must agree, understand that he is paying attention and cares about the little stuff. Yeah, he absolutely does. But he also calls us to draw close to him. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. He says, if you search me with all your heart, you will surely find me. He says that that I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. So what we're trying to show in the book is that this four-step pattern is he draws near to us. We draw near to him. And in that way, I think God, it, it reminds me more of women that, that with women, you need to draw them out. He said, it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter. And so sometimes God conceals things and he wants us, and that creates an intimacy when we draw near to him, when we seek him. And that's part of this pattern of provision that, that he gives us is this continual process that if that a good marriage would have or a good relationship has, that you continue to draw close to one another. 
I want to I want to jump in here because what I'm what I'm hearing through all of this, and I was smiling earlier, and and I know the listeners can't see the smile, but I but I am because here's what I'm hearing is that uh, you know we're stuck in this mentality of wanting more, but the cool thing is is that I think God wants more for us too. It's just our mores don't line up, and what reminds me of that is that I'm working harder and longer and 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 I'm spending time, you know, talking to my kids who are teenagers now and I'm justifying how hard I'm working because I want to provide more resources and more opportunities for my kids. But yet my daughter also wants more. But she wants more of my time. Right. So so we we both want more, but we want more of something very different because mine is taking away from time with her. And what she really wants is time with me. So where's that balance? And that's what made me smile is that we are stuck in this mentality of wanting more. And I think God wants us to have more. What if those two lined up? You know, what if those two really lined up? How power, you know, how awesome would that be for our personal and professional lives? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think it really goes to the plan point. Does God have a plan? And I remember a time in my professional career when I didn't have work. And during that period, my son was a junior in high school and he was, re- he was hitting all these struggles. And my wife was having some health issues. And I was able to be there every day for my son and for my wife. I Part of me was feeling like, God, you're really not providing for me in my career right now the way I'd like. But then I look back and literally my son and my wife were saying, you were there for us when we needed you. So he had a plan. But I think sometimes when our mores don't line up, we think God doesn't have a plan. It's just a better plan than what we think. I'll bet you your son looks back at that time and doesn't say, gee whiz, dad, you weren't providing. I bet he looks back there and says, man, that was the best. Like that was socially, you know, some things that happened at school where he had become a little bit of an outcast and he came home and would go hit golf balls together, would take a walk together, would hang out together. And again, if I was doing my CEO thing or whatever, feeling good about it, I could have missed that. Yeah, I I love that message. I hope everybody is catching that message because I think I can look back the same way, you know, when when I wasn't delivering or providing the more that I thought I should, I was actually delivering something much more significant. And, you know, and so, so that's, that's the whole, you know, thing about life. And I think that's, that's kind of what you're driving at in the book of this guarantee. What is that? Is that fair to say? Yeah. When people ask me about the book, I tell them a story. And if people are married, I say, imagine taking a list of 10 things to your wife or husband and saying, I would really like you to do these things for me in the coming week to prove that you love me. Everybody immediately gets a big smile on their face and says, that would never work. (laughs) And because what works is you go into your spouse and saying, what do you have going on this week? How can I serve you? How can I love you? You'll draw near to them, but that list, but how many people go to God they read some scripture and then they say, God, I've got this list of 10 things I need you to do to prove you love me. And then Jesus points at the cross and says, I've already proven how much I love you. And just hang with me, trust me, submit yourself to me, follow my plan. It's for your good. Well, there I had a list all written out for my wife. I'm going to have to throw away now, guys. You totally, <laughs> totally ruined it for me. 
well, so getting into your four key areas, Jack, you retell the story that is shared in all four gospels. And you point that out of Jesus feeding the crowd of many thousands with five loaves of bread and two fish. After they were fed, there were 12 baskets left over. And what, my, what caught my attention in your writing was you stating the testimony that God cares not only for our eternal provision uh, in heaven, but again, also for our practical provisions on earth. And it got me thinking about the first miracle, which was turning water into wine at a wedding. And uh, that got me thinking here too, Jack. I mean, God parting the Red Sea to save the Israelites from death. That feels like a legitimate miracle, you know? Raising right. someone from the dead makes sense. But if I'm God of, if I'm God of the universe, Kevin, God forbid... Uh, no way I'm wasting time on food and drink. And yet that there's your big analogy right there. You're showing us a significant paradigm change here. Uh, maybe primarily that God's economy of provision, which you were just talking about, Mark is just so radically different from ours. And that seems a crux of your message that you want us to digest so that we can understand the rest of it. Yeah, and I mean, again, here you're a disciple. You've seen Jesus heal blind people, raise people from the dead. And then he says to the disciples, this crowd has been with us. They're hungry. And the disciples responded the same way we would. Well, send them away. Let them get their own food. Well, it would take a year's wages to feed these people. And again, that's why I'm so excited about this concept of capacity, which is the first first of the four uh, steps in this pattern of provision is because when Jesus looked at those bread and, and fish, he saw something different than what anybody else would have seen. Okay. Well, Hey, we can dive in. Well, you know what? I actually had one thing I wanted to pull out before we dive in there and, I, and I'm going to ask you to answer it. You piqued my interest because I don't think I've ever heard it this way is that fear is selfish. So as we've been talking about fear, will you hit that uh, explain that. And then I want to, I want to ask you about capacity. Your, your first focal point, Jack answers that question next. After we pause to share a couple great services that are supporting this episode and both save you a great deal of time. First fresh books to all the freelancers listening right now. If you could reclaim up to 192 hours a year of your precious time, would you? Of course you would. If you're doing the math, 192 hours could save you two working days per month. Who wouldn't benefit from an extra two days a month? Our friends at FreshBooks make ridiculously easy cloud accounting software for freelancers by simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. If that's not enough incentive, the FreshBooks platform has been rebuilt from the ground up. They've taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level and added powerful new features. And if you're not using FreshBooks yet, now would be a great time to try because FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all Ziggler Show listeners. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash Ziggler and enter the Ziggler Show, inspiring your true performance in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash Ziggler. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I like this company, Breather, for the same reasons I like Uber and Lyft. If I show up in another town and need a ride, those two companies give me a ride on demand. Now I can do the same thing when I need office or meeting space. 
Breather has taken away the hassle. Every time you need to book a meeting or work event, there's a whole set of potential problems to consider. I've done this many times. And where's the most convenient location? Will it feel professional? Will there be good Wi-Fi and a host of other questions? Breather has beautiful, inspiring workspaces for your offsites, team meetings, client meetings, or even individual work. The best part, you only pay for the time you need, a month, a day, or even just an hour. There are no minimums or commitments with Breather. They own all their spaces, so you get an excellent, consistent experience every time. Breather is in L.A., New York, San Francisco, Palo Alto, Boston, Chicago, D.C., Toronto, Montreal, London, and they're growing fast. Even Google, Apple, and Facebook employees use Breather for their offsites and team meetings, and they've already got gorgeous offices. So don't overpay for space you don't need. Book a breather space for the time you need it and spend hundreds, not thousands. Try breather right now. You'll receive a hundred bucks off your first booking. When you go to breather.com slash Ziggler, that's a hundred bucks off your first booking. When you go to breather.com slash Ziggler. Yeah. Keller talked about that in his foreword. And I remember reading one time, cause I used to think that pride was a sin and insecurity was sort of a good thing. You know, I'm more humble when I'm insecure or something like that. And, you know, Keller actually is the one who said pride and insecurity is the same thing. It's an obsession about yourself. It's a focus on yourself instead of others. And fear is fundamentally, I'm thinking about my life, what I want, sort of what uh, Mark was talking about, you know, my plan. God, you're just not sort of orbiting around me right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you already hit on uh, capacity. That's the first focal point of your book. And you said in there, Jesus saw capacity in the loaves and fishes that no one else saw. They saw five loaves of bread and two fish, exactly what I would have seen. Apparently all small enough, as as the story shows us, that a young boy could carry them. So the fish were not Moby Dick uh, or anything like that. Right. So, so in this, Jack, you are talking point blank about seeing our circumstances with potential and possibility, not just face value. Yeah, exactly. And I think the beauty of this concept of capacity is the ability to look at every person that they're more than you think they are. Look at everything in nature that it's more, more than you think it is. And science basically proves that. And so, so taking that practically, looking at the bread and the fish, Jesus looked to heaven. And so we take what's in our life, what we think is our lot, and if we can have that discipline of saying, Lord, this is what I see. I see the $50 in my bank account. But again, you're looking at my relationships. You're looking at all these different aspects of my life. You know who I'm going to run into tomorrow. And, and again, people look at things as, as more on potential rather than capacity. Potential saying, what can I be? Potential saying, what can I have? Capacity is basically saying it's solving for what I can be or have, but it's also solving for God's kingdom. What's God's objectives? What does God want to have happen? You know, hey, I want to ask a question uh, on that capacity question because, you know, one of the challenges I think of why we all seem to want more is because, again, social media has made it seem like every single family we look at has more than us. Our neighbor has more, our guy down the street has more, you know, everybody we look at because we, you know, we basically, that's the persona we put forward on social media. So when someone looks at themselves and they hear this message and they just can't see their own capacity, 
you have any kind of practical wisdom for for just the the everyday person to say how do i how do i see the capacity that my family has or that i have or or that the work i'm doing um has in the, in this big picture equation i think a lot of times god wants you to invite other people into your life who know you and love you and say when you see me what do you see because then that can happen in community for example there's this african american girl that we've been friends with for the last 20 years she was ostracized by her family. She couldn't hold a job. And Lisa came to me one day and said, you know, her teeth just are rotting. And she took six months to help this woman get new dentures. She gets new dentures. She has a beautiful smile. Her family invites her to Thanksgiving, Christmas, gives her gifts. She gets a new job. So that capacity was there. But in community, somebody had to love her enough to say, your teeth need help. And even to a point where I say in the book about one demotion I had and, you know, I got totally humiliated. I had the biggest account in the office. And then somebody said, I don't want Alexander on the account. And then I got this tiny little account and it was a billionaire in Europe and he hired me three years later. So, so God's got this plan. We talk about a guy named Jeremy Coward. He was out of work at 26 years old. He had never held down a job. If you looked at Jeremy, you'd think he was a bum. Somebody gave him a camera and he was just voted the most influential photographer in the world. And so what we talk about here, a demotion, new teeth, a, a, some, a camera somebody gives him. God knows what can happen that can unlock in Kevin, Mark or Jack or any radio listener something that we don't see. But it often that's why community is the last C. Oftentimes we need to lean in the community to discover that. You know, I, I just want to stop and say I love that response and I love that because all too often we're looking in the mirror and we're like, we can't see our capacity, we can't see our contribution, but what you're saying is, is others can. Exactly. And we've got to trust that God has put people in our lives. I mean, the I love to play the what if game with my kids. When they say, I can't do something, I say, what if you could? That's great. What would that be? And and we we play this game a lot because I just I flip around anything that they say negative and I I just start it with but but just for a second go with me. What if that was possible? What would happen if that was possible? And next thing you know, they're changing their whole mindset. And I think that's what I hear you saying about capacity is what if God has already put everybody in your life that you need to do everything that you've ever been, you know, put on this earth to do. How would you look at the people differently in your life? And maybe it's their job to bring out your capacity, but it's your job to invite them in. I love that. Yeah. Inviting God in and them. That's what the book's talking about is that we have a society that's pushing God out. We need to invite him, but we also need to lean into relationship. I, I got an accounting degree in school. I went to work for this billionaire. So he comes to me one day and he says, let's buy a company together. I want to run it. I want you, I want you to run it. And I'm like, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And to me, that's so redemptive. But there's people in your life that need to see their capacity. And, uh, you know, and so, and I, that's what I'm here. I'm being personally challenged right now by you to identify two or three people in my life that need me to help them see their capacity and, uh, and whether you knew it or not, uh, you're challenging me to do that. And I'm accepting the challenge right here and now. All right. 
Well, you know, when we ask other people in, we're honoring them. We're saying you're important. I value what you say. So there's a huge humility aspect to it. But then there's each of our stories that when we have a story and things work out and somebody say, Mark, Kevin, how did this work? You'd say, well, you know, I invited this guy in and he saw something I didn't see. And it could be a wrong attitude I had. You know, Jack, I don't think you treated this person right or something. So, so God just created this in a pretty neat way. Well, I want to point out something that as we, again, are looking at these four areas and going through those that, that folks hear that this is a four-step process, but, and you correct me, uh, Jack, if you will, but that it's obviously not a magic formula to make God give what you want, but a way to, uh, this is so Ziegler-esque, it is a way to orient ourselves to, and this is Zig's quote, everybody listening should know it, to be the right person so you can do the right thing so you can have what God has for you. And that reorienting, as I hear you talk, Jack, I hear you continue to call us to that. It's to reorient our perspective to a more godly perspective. And these areas, number one, capacity to see uh, more than what's at, at face value. And then number two, and if we can just jump in there to you have consecration and you use the example going back again to the fishes and loaves, Jesus blessed the food. And I want to get literal. Most people listening are employed. So I can paint a picture real quick, make it okay money, have a home and a mortgage. Most everybody listening has uh, most amenities that everyone expects. They're married, maybe a kid or two. Many have an aspect of faith to their lives and they are living, going about the day to day, making ends meet. They have enough uh, and they don't feel like they really should complain, but they feel stuck. They feel numb. They may feel hopeless, struggling yeah, with hope. And they see what simply seems to be. What does it look like to take that circumstance and consecrate it. Well, one of my favorite verses, Joshua 3, 5, it says, consecrate yourself today for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. So there's an incredible power in inviting God into not just your strengths, but also your weaknesses, your addictions, your problems. Because again, once you see the capacity of what could be, you're basically saying, God, I want to invite you in. And not to jump to the third step, but all manufacturing of any good has a two-step process of, of separation and purification. I'll hold up my iPhone here. And, you know, if I said silica is the second most common element on earth, and if you're walking on the beach, you know, that's silica, that's, that's sand. But when you when you separate out the the silica from the other stuff in the beach sand, and then you put it in an oven at two thousand degrees centigrade, it becomes silicon, which becomes the brains of this. So as we get into these four C's, to really realize that any raw material, anything we use on a daily basis, any plant-based product, any petroleum-based product. It goes on and on, has gone through this two-step two process of separation and purification, which is really what consecration and challenges are in God's pattern of provision. So you're asking us really to take, again, that, that average perspective that I laid out there and give it a lot more gravity than we tend to. Yeah, I think so. And, and just a comment about this, this pattern of provision, it's the feeding of the 5,000, it's the feeding of the 4,000, it's communion, it's the Emmaus Road, it's Acts 27, 
when Paul's ship is going down. Every single one of these five cases they, that God follows the same pattern to provide safety, to provide spiritual nourishment, to provide deeper relationship with him, to provide practically. So I really think there's something transcendent about these four steps. You're right. It's not a formula, but I do think it's a pattern of how God works with people. Okay. Challenges is number three. And you use the analogy that Jesus broke the bread and the fish after, after blessing them. And from that, you say he often breaks us, but you say being broken can again, use that word reorient us and help us gain perspective. So back to my analogy before in that average life story that is going, okay, we do get laid off. We have a marriage relationship in jeopardy. Some challenge comes up with a child. And, and now before we talk about it, really what you outline in your book and how we utilize that to overcome and grow, it seems I'm going to ask you to also help reconcile, uh, let's say in the instance of a marriage in jeopardy, it's hard to accept that God intentionally reached out and broke that like he did the bread and the fish. Uh, so address that first, because I, I know a lot of people get stuck right there and we're trying to help them take action on this. So they're going to get stuck on, wait a minute. So when I am broken, when that job happened, you're, you're trying to get me to understand that God did that. You know, that's a, that's a big issue. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a song that says God orders and provides. And I think when we invite him in, there's a new sheriff in town and he might see something in that marriage. That's not healthy. He might see a pride from that employment. He sees things that we don't see. And so part of his provision is to, to reorient things. It's to, to restructure things that he's moving around the pieces. And again, the Natasha getting new teeth, was reorienting things, me getting demoted in my job or, or getting a setback in my job, me losing my father when I was nine years old. And I've had a ministry to 3,000 widows in India for the last 10 years. It just wouldn't have happened without that tragic thing happening in my life. So Satan shows up when the challenges come because he'll say, God's not in control. God doesn't love you. And there isn't something redemptive that can come out of this. I want to I want to jump in on this challenges because uh, um, I think it's so powerful and it's something that I've had to really wrestle with in my own life. And that is in your book, you actually share uh, I don't want to say several, but you, you share a lot of personal examples of challenges you've had. But I'd say I'd go a step further and I'm going to use the word failure. Um, that there were some times where you identified yourself as, as having failed and you, and, and then you learned from that. And because you failed, then success came. Can you give an example of that or, or one or two examples of where you've seen yourself literally reach the point where you felt either that you had failed, but then how that ended up becoming the success? Um, I can see a lot of instances in my life and my career where God brings me to a point of weakness. So for example, in my early reviews, they said, well, Jack, you know, you're not the best people manager in the world. You know, you're not, you're just not a strong people manager. And so then God brings me to this people company to end up buying with this partner of mine. And before I know it, we have 500 people, then 1,000 people, then 5,000 people. And I've seen in my career, because I think I'm going to fail, 
I, I get in meetings with people and say, well, how, how uh, Mark, would you handle this? What do you think we should do? You know, that that very weakness and sort of tendency to think I'm going to fail here, here will actually have me draw other people out, get them to contribute. And then people are saying, we think you're a pretty good leader. And really the root of that was maybe a fear of failure or something that I fundamentally thought was a weakness. Same thing in technology. I'm not strong in technology. I've been chairman or CEO of five different technology companies right now. I don't really know how that happened. All I know is in every one of those companies, I get with these technical people. I tell them I need their help and we dream together. And when things are successful, I go back to them and say, we would never be here without you. And I know, I know in my life, um, I'm an entrepreneur and I have failed many times, but I look back and realize that, that it was those failures that created the learning for me to know what to do next. And so now as I embark on different ventures, I, I go into it knowing there's likely going to be a failure so that I don't have that fear of failure. I kind of know it's going to happen. And, but I know that the learning from that is probably going to be what I need to bust through and, and, and grow uh, as a result of that. And I think all too often people fear failure instead of accept it as part of life. You know, we're on a roller coaster here in life. Yeah, again, I look at things more through that prism of weakness. You know, Paul will say, I glory in my weaknesses, that the power of God is made perfect in my weaknesses. And so a lot of popular management things will say, stick to your own knitting, et cetera, et cetera. At least in my career, I've found that God, God's strength and his ability to do things often is, is where I'm weakest. Well, and this, this piece on challenge, Mark, you just said it. My, my next question for, for, for Jack was exactly what you just said a second ago, that in this aspect of, of challenge and the, the third point here that Jack, you seem to be calling us to just what you said, Mark, to expect that the challenge is going to come. And then to, from that seek, how can I grow? What can be gained from what has happened? Yes. I think that's absolutely right. I think in the book, I talk about making friends with the wilderness. Yeah. And the challenges are being called to a place of wilderness. And all the people that God called, whether it's Paul or Jesus or, you know, just on and on, Moses spent time in the wilderness. And if you really believe that when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ, we're either in the wilderness or if God's using us as a Christian, we're entering other people's wilderness. And so I think wilderness is where we go one-on-one with God. We've had a major loss. We've, we have a challenge. And we say, God, what are you trying to show me? How are you trying to reorder and reorient my life right now? And to me, there's an intimacy to that. And I talk in the book about my sort of idolatry of the marketplace, because oftentimes we look at the marketplace as our security rather than actually the wilderness is where God can totally change the variables and change the direction and the course of our lives. Well, that aspect of making friends with the wilderness, again, you uh, have done a masterful job of paradigm shifting throughout the book. And that's one of them. So the fourth one here is community, which you talked about already in regards to your uh, friend Natasha's teeth. 
Uh, and you cite in the book community, you cite the crowd Jesus fed and say authentic provision happens when we form communities that represent the body of Christ through serving one another. Jesus meets us as we let go of our own desires and selfish selfishness and instead focus on how to love the people in our lives, even those who seem unlovable. And you land on the necessity of seeing our role as God sees it. So again, back to my little analogy of life. Uh, with family and challenges, you're calling me now to look not just at the issue and circumstances and myself, uh, but elevate my role and responsibility in regards to those around me, family, friends, coworkers. Am I, am I getting the gist here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes when you go through challenges, something is broken, a bomb's going off. And the whole issue is I say, what's left in your life after the challenges? And you need to lean into that. And when I, when I wrote the book in my research, I saw everything you look in the stars, everything's orbiting around a central object. Every planet is part of an orbit. You look at molecules and atoms, there's orbiting. Everything orbits around the central object except for people. Human beings want people to orbit around them. And I'm on a 15-year period right now where God's saying, okay, Jack, I want you to orbit around other people. And it's been amazing Kevin, how God has provided for me as I began to orbit around ministries with problems, people with, with issues. Because again, as CEO of a company with 6,000, two companies with 6,000 people, I was used to things orbiting around me. And there's a fundamental pride and even corruption in that because God didn't design us for glory. He designed us to reflect glory. I tell a joke in the book of me playing golf with Jack Nicholas, and he and I are literally walking down to the 18th hole, and the whole crowd is chanting, Jack, Jack, Jack. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm standing a little bit up straighter. And, you know, this whole idea, you know, they weren't, they weren't chanting for me. I was reflecting the glory of Nicholas. And I think that we're, we're created to be the moon, not the sun. But, but when we are the sun, it feels very natural. And I think this whole idea of orbiting around others that are in our life, but sometimes when we've been hurt deeply, when we're broken, we want to isolate. And that's the work of Satan to say, I'm going to isolate you. I'm going to tell you lies, and then you're going to believe in them. And so this, this pattern of provision wars against isolation, and it exalts the role of community that God has for us. How would you, Jack, when you were putting this book together and you were talking about community, how would you help people kind of define who their community is? I think it's the community, like if all of us, because the tendency is to think about my church or my neighbors, but I would encourage everybody to get a blank sheet of paper and say, who knows your heart? Who do you trust? And I'm sure you'll list some family members, but I just spent some time this afternoon with a guy I haven't been with for probably four years, and my heart trusted him. And when I saw him, I just had a heart response to him. So I think that who, so I would say just really ask God, give me the list and lean into those people because they have an interest in me. Okay. Well, well, yeah. And on that though, I I just, again, we've got a big audience out there and people from a a lot of different walks of life. I know there are some people who hear what you just said, they get it, but when they get that pen and paper out, 
they don't have somebody who knows their heart. They don't have somebody who their heart even, even trusts. So for those folks listening right now, what would you offer for them? Well, I would ask what communities are they in? For example, do they belong to a church? And if they belong to a church and don't have any people that they can't put on a list, they need to go to a different church. Um, I have two neighbors that recently I went and met with. We, we weren't close and I just went over their house and we just struck up a relationship. And so sometimes it's just, it's, it's this, these people live next door to me. And so I think proximity as well as wisdom, again, if you don't have those people in your life and you know it's God's will that you be in community, then part of it is maybe you need to take some initiative and even go to people you respect that you're not close to, ask them what communities they're in. Okay. That one, I just, again, want to point out. I mean, as I look at these, number one, capacity, number two, consecration, number three, challenges. Those are things that I can, in a lot of ways, uh, take up, take action on in and of myself. Your last one though, community, just as you talked about is going to cause a lot of people to have to take initiative. It's not one that is as much in their control. Obviously they can go forth and do something. This is going to cause some reliance on other people and bonding with them. Do you find in these areas is that one sometimes, well, I'll just ask you, where is the one that you find people are most challenged with? I think it's community. I think you're right on target, Kevin, because the four steps I've got a term in the, in the end of the book called cruciform generosity. And if you look at the first three steps, they break us down capacity. I'm looking for something for God to do something that I don't see consecration, I realize that he needs to be in charge. I need to invite him in. That humbles me. Challenges break my heart. I'm now at a point of breaking down. By the time I get to the horizontal part of the cross community, I'm broken down. And so I'm more apt to go to a group and saying, Kevin, just tell me about yourself. You know, and you've got a heart that says, I'm willing to hear your story. What are your needs? I think I think going into community without being broken down, we're having a tendency to go in and saying, I I went in with these needs. People didn't ask me enough questions. They didn't care about me. And I was totally unfulfilled. And the reason is because they weren't broken down. So I think God in his wisdom in this four-step pattern breaks us down before we lean into community. Well, you're leading us into uh, Zig's quote that everybody here knows. We let off the top of the show with it, that you can have everything in life you want if you'll help enough other people get what they want. Well, right at the end of your book, Jack, you conclude somewhat with the discussion on Proverbs 25.2. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have us wrap up here where it says, it is the glory of God. You mentioned this before also. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter but the glory of Kings is to search out a matter. And I'll have to admit, I've read that verse many times. I know it well. I can't say that it has ever resonated with anything that really triggered in my skull very well. So help us consider that verse and what it means. Well, a lot of Christians, if they're, if they look at, for example, the Westminster, Westminster Confession of Faith, what's the chief end of man is to glorify God. And so glory is a word that should make Christians sit up. 
And so I was fascinated with this verse where it says it's to God's glory to conceal things and to hide things. And at the first response, it seems like, okay, this is a divine game of hide and seek. This isn't exactly how I pictured God hiding things from me. But when you dig into it, that any relationship that you have that's intimate, person, people have, have hidden things in them. And when you ask them questions and you draw them out and you love them and show an interest and draw those things out, that creates an incredible bond. And that's what God wants from us. He, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll surely find me. And I think that sometimes people say, well, I'll listen to a podcast. And it's sort of like religion on the run. And that time that we're spending asking God, God, look at my heart, see if there's any evil way in me, that that intimacy is what he wants. And what we're trying to say, the God guarantee is as we draw near to the provider and he draws near to us, as we follow this pattern, his promises are behind each one of these four steps and the provider of the universe will meet our needs as we walk with him. Uh, well, great place for us to land. And uh, folks, again, I want to draw you to the God Guarantee. That's uh, Jack's website there. Obviously, getting the book is paramount. Uh, but you'll see, I think it's the second tab up at the top of his website. You'll see uh, course. Uh, he has a course there uh, that's profound. So if you will go there, check it out, get engaged with him there. Uh, Mark, always a gift to do this with you. And Jack, thank you so much for your time and for investing all you have to bring us this uh, foundational message. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's, I think spiritual formation is the key to the Christian life. And, you know, I think God gives us these patterns for a reason and you guys have been great. And I've really enjoyed this. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate you, you very much. Thank hey, you God so bless you much. both. Take care. Folks, Mark and I did something new in this interview and spent a few minutes immediately afterwards sharing the highlights we got from this interview with Jack. So if you'll stay tuned, you may find some value. This ending commentary is brought to you by Be Frugal. If you shop online, you have to try Be Frugal. Be Frugal lets you earn cash back from over 5,000 stores, including Amazon, Walmart, Target, Macy's, and more. My wife loves to do this. Simply find the online store you want to shop, click the link on befrugal.com to activate cash back and complete your purchase. You can earn up to 40% cash back on your purchase. Plus, if you have any questions, Be Frugal's team of U.S.-based specialists are there to help. Visit befrugal.com slash Ziggler and get a $10 bonus when you join for free. All right, Mark. Well, I just feel like I got to sit at the feet of a, of a master and learn and it's got my head reeling on a, on a couple things what about you yeah without a doubt you know i know jack has uh achieved a lot of uh, personal success in his life as a businessman uh, as a father uh but what i think we fail to realize is is that uh just how basic uh, the, the epiphany, the, the tipping point for some people can be. And, you know, he literally took a couple iconic stories from the Bible that, that, that if you've been around, uh, faith have heard of and, and really knew them and, and had heard them, the, the feeding of the 5,000 from the loaves and the fish and, you know, and the breaking of the bread, but yet, he, he used the simplicity of that to unpack it and turn it on its head and say, 
this could be the difference maker. This is how powerful this can be. And, you know, specifically what spoke to me the most was the area of capacity, you know, that, that we have capacity that we're, we're just leaving on the table. Like we're just, uh, we're, we're not seeing and, and, and we're, and then we can sit there and just focus on it till smoke's coming out our ears. But the reality is we may need to draw on others around us to help us see that capacity and unlock that capacity. So, um, you know, I, I just love the simplicity of it. And yet the powerful that comes from the simplicity. And, and that's one of the things I took away from Jack is, is that we overcomplicate so many things and especially this idea of fear and of more and of scarcity. And when we break it down, man, it can be the difference maker. Absolutely. And it's great capacity stuck out to you. I got to admit it was the consecration that, that, that did for me. Not that I don't, you know, take the mornings and and seek to renew my mind and to be listening to God daily and to be following him, but to take a specific issue and to not just take action and, and go after it. Like I tend to do, but to stop consecrate this, this is, this is valuable. This is meaningful. God is in this moment. Uh, that is one that again, not just like we talked about, not to make this some formula, you know, if I do this, then the, no. the moons will align, but uh, be present and renew my mind, reorient that, that word came up so many times reorient, which again is classic Zig Ziglar of, of changing, rewiring our mind for better. So. How cool was it though? Consecration sounds like a complicated word, a scary word, yeah. uh, avoid this word, but he distilled it down to a two-step process, separate and then heat it up. Separate, and yeah. and isn't that, you know, when I look at that now, I'll never be afraid of consecration. In fact, I'll be drawn to it, separate it and then heat it up and see what happens. I, absolutely, man. That feels doable because otherwise consecration sounds like something where I summon it and the angels sing and it's something very yeah. holy. I have to have a robe on maybe. So man, uh, just, yeah, what, what, a, what an honor to do that. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in with us. If you got value from this or have a question, let us know at ask.zigshow.com or ask at zigshow.com and do us a big favor. If you would, I'm asking, go to iTunes, leave us a rating or review. You're, you're welcome to even mention this show and the value that it provided to you. Thanks for walking with us as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs>